What's happening, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your source for everything Ohio State Athletics. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you from Boulder, Colorado, on August 10th, 2017, here with another edition of our 2017 Opponent Preview Series podcast. We're in Big Ten play right now, and if you want to go back and listen to any of the old episodes and the non-conference episodes we did, be sure to go to soundcloud.com slash Land or go on Apple Podcasts and search The Hangout in the Holy Land. On today's episode, we are going to talk about the Maryland Terrapins and their second-year head coach, DJ Durkin. So to do that, I am joined by managing editor for TestudoTimes.com, SB Nation's Maryland site, Jared Goldstein. Jared, how you doing, man? I'm great. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining the show. And DJ Durkin is a name familiar to Ohio State fans due to him being at Michigan and also working under Urban Meyer at Florida. And in his first season, Maryland goes 6-7, and 3-6 and six in Big Ten play and makes a bowl game. How would you assess the job that he did in year one? I think it was, uh, you know, if I had to give a letter grade, probably say somewhere in the in the B range, plus or minus, you know, whatever. I think that taking a team that had previously gone three and nine in 2015, um, and taking it with largely the same roster makeup and doubling the win total, um, and making a bowl game, just showed uh, in year one kind of what a what a coaching change could do. Like I said, with mostly the same roster talent, it was kind of a mad dash. He was hired in December, so it was kind of a mad dash to signing day to kind of get some of the players he wanted into the class. And a lot of them played as true freshmen. I think 16 is the number of freshmen that that played at some point last year. Um, so, you know, to take a roster that had previously gone three and nine and then have that kind of infusion of freshman talent be such contributors on a team that doubled its win total um, kind of just speaks to, you know, the culture change and the, you know, the job that he did in his first year. Not to pile on Randy Edsel here, but what do you think the biggest differences are between the way that Durkin runs the program compared to what Edsel did? Cause like you're saying, it was a lot of the same guys and he was able to engineer that type of turnaround just in year one. Yeah, I think that he's more enthusiastic. You can kind of you can kind of tell, and maybe it's just because I I was at the school for one year with Edsel and now one year with Durkin. Um, but you can kind of tell the energy that radiates from the program is just a, a lot greater under Durkin. You know, the the football department puts out, you know, the marketing department puts out all these kind of hype videos, and Durkin's just kind of standing in front of the team, like saying whatever he's saying and I'm sitting on my computer watching it and like, I'm ready to get up and go and run through a wall. And so even before they ever played a down with him as the head coach, they they were releasing videos from him talking to the team at spring practice and he's talking and they cut to the players and the players look like they're almost ready to cry. Not like in a bad way, just kind of like, Oh my God, like, you know, this guy's like leading us to whatever, you know? So kind of just, the energy, I think, is is a lot greater, and I think he he seems he's a young guy. He's one of the youngest Power Five head coaches in the country, and I think he just 
he and his staff, he made a lot of great staff hires also. I think they just find ways to kind of relate to the players and get the most out of what they've got on the team. Yeah, I don't think that there's a lot of people out there that would be willing to run through a wall for Randy Edsel, or at least I, I hope not. I completely agree <laughs> with that. I, I'm with you in that I, I don't want I don't want to pile on him too much, but I think we're we're kinda on the same page there in that we definitely could. Maryland is in a great place right now, and part of that is due to what Durkin has done on the recruiting trail. And if you look at what they did on signing day in 2017, they had the 18th overall rated class in the 24-7 sports composite, ended up finishing fourth in the Big Ten. One, are any of those guys going to see the field this year? And how have they been able to kind of shift things around so dramatically in recruiting under Durkin? Um, So Maryland's long had this... uh you know, DMV, it's DC, Maryland, Virginia to UMD movement in mind. That's kind of been their their selling point. You know, if the best players in the area stay home, you know, Maryland would be unstoppable. The problem is Maryland hasn't really won a whole lot of football games. So top talent isn't necessarily inclined to stay in the area. I think that with the progress we were talking about, they were able to show, you know, they could get to six wins and a bowl game, um, I think that kind of made some waves in the area. Maryland got the top quarterback in the DMV for the first time in quite a while last year in Kasim Hill. That, you know, with Anthony McFarland, who was one of the top three all-purpose backs in the country, and just kind of guys, you know, Cam Spence. There's a bunch of four-stars in the class, you know, way more than Maryland's had uh, in quite a while. And to answer your question about, you know, if they'll see the field this year, I think if the trend continues from the year before where 16 played, and that was, I think that was somewhere in the 40s or high 30s, that class in rankings, this class was 18. Um, I would imagine that quite a few of those guys will play, especially uh, some of the early enrollees. Um, We had a couple four-stars early enroll and a couple, you know, underrated, I think, sleeper three-star guys who have the measurables and the upside but you know necessarily didn't necessarily see the same offers as some of the higher rated guys dj will always say that the best players will play it doesn't matter if they're true freshman or a fifth year senior um and he's you know backed that up in year one by playing whoever you know gave maryland the best chance to win and you know so i see no reason with such a highly rated class coming in by Maryland standards that that they wouldn't play. That DMV area is loaded with talent and under Urban Meyer, Ohio State has made that a priority. We've seen that in recent years with quarterback Dwayne Haskins, which was a very public battle between them and Maryland to get him to commit as well as Keandre Jones, the linebacker, and then looking this year too at 2018, the linebackers to Rada Mitchell and then Kayvon Pope, so definitely a lot of talent in that area. Yeah, it's it's uh, one of the most talent-rich areas in the country. Um, a few, gosh, it was probably a few months ago at this point, the NCAA released some graphic of the states where, you know, the highest percentage of football players get recruited to play Division One college football, and Maryland was right up there in the top five with Florida and Texas and Georgia. In California, I think, were some of the other schools up there. So 
it really is, you know, a, a real talent-rich area. Chase Young is another guy in the 2017 class who Maryland was trying to get him to stay home, but at the time had already had another five-star defensive end, Josh Kando, who ultimately ended up at Florida State committed, and, you know, whatever spots, things things, things didn't work out in Maryland's favor there. That was That was before I really got into recruiting. Now that's kind of why I'm at, why I ended up at Testudo times. So that's kind of my, my bread and butter. The whole, I mean, Maryland, Maryland could really sell that DMV to UMD movement. It, it really is a talent rich area. It's just, you know, Maryland's got to win football games to keep guys like Chase Young home, to keep guys like Dwayne Haskins and Keandre Jones from flipping in January. Winning will solve a lot of problems. It's just a matter of when or if that can happen. Access to that DMV talent has always given Maryland a label as a sleeping giant. What do you think about that label? I think it's it's pretty accurate. Uh, I think that if you if you keep if you look year by year at some of the talent that comes out of this area, and look at first of all look at you know some of the guys in the NFL who are from this area. You look at some of the guys from around college football who came from the D.C. area. Um, Maryland is now even stretching their recruiting base down into the Virginia Beach area, which is about three to four-ish hours away, depending on traffic, obviously, because there's always traffic. That recruiting base could really make for an exceptional base of your roster. Um, you, You can't build an entire roster from that area, but if you were to keep, you know, seven of the top 10 players, say, from Maryland and, you know, this many players from D.C. and X many players from Virginia, you could have a really solid core of roster talent that wouldn't have to travel too far from home. Family could come see him play and everything. So I think that the Sleeping Giant label is fairly accurate. I just... It's a question of how deep asleep the giant is. It's it's it seems like it's been in, you know in a pretty deep sleep for quite a while. But you know, like I was saying, with the energy that Durkin gives off, that his staff gives off, and just talking to some of the players, how how they kind of feel things are changing. I think maybe it's it's starting to stir a little bit, and and it might be waking up in the near future. Something that could help them break out of that slumber is their explosive run game and the return of the duo of Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison. Is it fair to say that everything on offense is going to run through those two guys this year, especially given the quarterback situation early on? Yeah, I think that's that's a fair assessment going into the year. Uh, we don't really know what we're, we're going to see with the passing game. Uh, I think there are probably four quarterbacks that could start we were watching. Um, there was there was an open practice a few days ago, and you know I came home and, and watched the uh, the BTN live segment from Cole Fieldhouse, uh, and they were saying that two quarterbacks had separated, but obviously no one would say who those two were. And I don't want to speculate or make any guesses, uh, though I may have an idea. I think it is fair to say right now, you know, not knowing who the quarterback is going to be that, you know, the the two, you know, the, the dynamic duo, as you put it, are, you know, that's that's going to be the lifeblood of the offense for right now. 
you're going to get a lot of explosive big plays from the two of them. I think what Maryland needs to cut out are the either negative or one or two yard gains. I know it's impossible to do that completely, but to to cut down on them um, would drastically improve Maryland's chances at, you know, eliminating three to four play drives where it's, you know, a first down and a three and out or a touchdown in the first three plays. Um, that would help with, you know, that, that would just help the whole team. That would help the defense stay off the field and get rested. And it may open, you know, a, a play action passing game or something other than, you know, a couple bubble screens and slants here and there. Um, that would just help everything run more smoothly. Since we don't know really the true status of the quarterback battle in, in fall practice right now, what would you like to see from this battle? And is there any difference between the players that are going after that job and, and what they would bring to the offense? So the four guys that, that I think are really competing are Caleb Henderson, who's a former four-star quarterback who spent a couple years at North Carolina um, behind Marquise Williams and Mitch Trubisky um, and transferred back home to be closer to Maryland. He sat out last year um, and will be, he'll have a couple years of eligibility left going into this season. Uh, there's Tyrell Pigram, who was a true freshman last year, saw the field a lot, um, only started one game against Minnesota. He is the most experienced quarterback uh, the team will have, you know, in terms of gameplay. Max Bortenschlager was also a true freshman last year. He's the pocket passer of the group. He started the Nebraska game last year, and he, I think, you know, of the the true freshmen, him him and Pigram showed more of an ability last year to kind of read through his progressions and make a decision. Um, whereas Pigram seemed to be a first read, and if it's not there, I'm going to run quarterback which worked occasionally. He's got great speed and agility. Um, I think down the line, if you know some other quarterback takes over the starting position, I think he'd make a great slot receiver or third down running back maybe, but that's a conversation for another time. And this, you know, the fourth guy is true freshman, Kasim Hill, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, he's a four-star guy coming out of D.C. And he was at the Under Armour All-American game this past year, he's kind of got all the tools. He is classified as a pocket passer, but he's got all the tools to pull it down and run also. He's, if I were to guess, I know I said I didn't want to speculate, but if I were to guess, I would say that Pigram and Kasim Hill were the two guys that, that were separating themselves in practice. Henderson was out for the spring and some of summer with a foot injury, and I just feel that, that Pigram and Hill kind of fit the offense or give the offense more options than Bortenschlager does. He's capable of running, but not at the same level as the other two. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that either Hill or Pigram would be the guy uh, when Maryland travels to Texas in week one to play the Longhorns. It's tough. It's real tough to start a true freshman in the Big Ten, you know, especially if you're going on the road to, a you know, a, a big non-conference opponent like Texas. But, you know, they said, you know, the coaching staff has said they'll give they'll give the, you know, the player that gives the best chance, the team, the best chance to win the opportunity to play. So, you know, we'll see 
how that plays out. Flipping over to the defense, Maryland had one of the worst run defenses in the country last year. And that is something, especially when you're in the Big Ten East, that is not ideal when you're playing Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, or even a team like Indiana. What has been the talk about fixing that run defense heading into the season, especially from a guy that has the defensive pedigree like DJ Durkin does? Yeah, so uh, looking at you know some of the the pictures the guys are posting, you know, the players are posting of themselves over the offseason, they're putting a lot of work in in the weight room. Strength and conditioning coach uh, Rick Court uh, was DJ Durkin's first hire, um, and he's one of the best guys in the country um, at, at just kind of bulking guys up, making guys bigger. The, the defensive line, the, I mean, the roster as a whole, but specifically I noticed the defensive line looks a lot bigger, a lot stronger than they have in years past. And that was one of the things that struck me so much when Maryland came into the Big Ten was how much smaller the team was than their opponents. You know, I'm, I always think football players are huge anyway because I'm 5'9 and 150 pounds. So, you know, I'm standing next to some of these guys and, and they're huge, they're huge, whatever. And then, you know, Maryland lines up on first down, you know, in year one against Ohio State's offensive line. And it looked, I mean, it was night and day, you know, the size difference. So I, I think that's kind of the first step in fixing that run defense is just getting bigger. Uh, Maryland's got, I think, a pretty solid front four. It's depth that's going to be the issue. And it's you know, it's the same thing with the offensive line also. The the starters are an adequate group. You know, they could they can hold their own, but you can't obviously you can't play them all however many snaps. Um uh, so we're gonna need to see, you know, what what the depth looks like there. It's it's a lot of young guys again. Uh, it's gonna be a lot of guys from twenty seven uh, twenty sixteen, excuse me, and twenty seventeen, um, who who are gonna have to play as sophomores, redshirt freshmen, and true freshmen um, to really kind of beef up that depth and and contribute, you know, to give the starters a breather here and there. In an ideal world, what's the identity of Maryland's defense? For right now, before Durkin gets a full four classes, I guess, of recruiting, you know, in, uh, I think Maryland's going to have to be an opportunistic defense. Um, I think they're going to have to kind of be a, a bend-don't-break team and kind of thrive off of ripping the ball loose or picking off passes when they can here and there. I think Maryland's secondary is going to be one of its best units, and that's just kind of based on the size and measurables and athletic upside of some of the guys they've got back there. Maryland is, you know, as teams move to more of a spread offense, Maryland is responding with a a base nickel defense. Um, so there are only two linebackers on the field. Um, so it would be tough for, you know, the linebackers really to be the identity of the defense. And until the run defense shores up a little bit, that's not necessarily going to be a strength. You know, the defensive line is not necessarily to be a strength of the team either. So I think the team is really going to have to kind of bend, don't break and, and take the ball away from the offense at key moments. Um, and if, that's a big if. If they can, you know, come up with a couple turnovers, you know, one or two a game in in big spots, uh, I think that would be the recipe for, 
you know, Maryland kind of pulling one or two upsets here and there, you know, over the course of the next year or two. They're going to have ample opportunity to pull upsets this year because you look at the schedule and that thing is brutal. You mentioned earlier the opener at Texas. They also play a non-conference home game against UCF, who is one of the best mid-majors in the country. And, And that's not even getting to the Big Ten games at Minnesota, at Ohio State, Northwestern, at Washington or at Wisconsin, a game against Michigan at home, and then Penn State and even at Michigan State. Usually when a team goes through a coaching change and you make a bowl game that first year, it seems like expectations get built up a ton. But do you think that expectations are probably being tempered down a little bit because of how brutal this schedule is? I think that rational fans um, would look at that schedule and kind of realize that you're playing a bunch of teams in the, you know, the top 10 of the coaches poll. You're playing teams that have won the big 10, you know, every year for however many years. And the non-conference schedule is not Howard FIU and UCF like it was last year. This is going to be a tough year. I've said a lot, and a lot of people have said also, that the team could be better this year and win fewer games. It's going to be one of those years where maybe Maryland's high APR percentage makes them one of those teams that gets into a bowl game with five wins. It's a tough year, but but like you said, you know, there's there's going to be ample opportunity to pull an upset. I think Maryland is lucky to play teams like Michigan and Penn State at home that may not make the biggest of differences but I think a year that shows that you know I mean Maryland lost to Michigan 59 to 3 last year and lost to Ohio State 62 to 3 last year so you know if if you're gonna show improvement you know maybe you're not coming out and and beating those teams that are top 10 top five teams in the country but you know you're you're coming out and you know it's it's 35 to 21 or something you know it's it's not it's not a blow you out of the water you don't belong on the same field as us kind of game it's a you know we're a top 10 team and you're not so we're gonna win but not complete annihilation I think a year that kind of shows that not getting you know blown out of the water but but at least competing and showing that you belong on that field would be a good year Um, And like you said, you know, wins are going to be hard to come by. So, you know, I think Maryland's lucky that they're still going to play Towson as a non-conference opponent. I think, you know, any year, which is every year in the Big Ten East that Maryland gets to play Rutgers, I think that that could help. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Michigan State either continues to flounder or rebounds. I think that that game at Michigan State, you know, the second to last week of the season may be the deciding factor between, you know, Maryland making a bowl game or not. So, you know, and and even to get to that point, Maryland's going to have to beat a team that was better than they were last year. So, you know, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out, but I don't think that fans should get out their pitchforks and everything. If, if Maryland doesn't do so hot this season. Yeah. And we talked about trying to shed that label of being a sleeping giant earlier. And if you want to continue to sign top 20 recruiting classes and compete with teams in the big 10 East, then these schedules are perfect because you get to measure yourself up 
against other great teams. And like you're saying, you know, you may not win the games, but it's also better to have that experience and not lose, like you're saying, the way they did against Ohio State in Michigan last year. But with all that said, what do you think is a fair expectation for Maryland in 2017? If we're talking record-wise, I would probably – I know I saw Vegas set the over-under at like three and a half games, and I almost bet my whole life savings on that. I think Maryland's going to be better than – Yeah, that seems low. Yeah, it, it, I agree. I, I think that Maryland is going to be better than some people are expecting them to be this year. Unfortunately, with the schedule, I don't know how many wins that will translate to and I hate really going through the schedule before the year and going, that's a win, that's a win, that's a loss. Um, but looking at the schedule, you know, I'm probably going to do it anyway. I think that that first game at Texas is a really interesting game. Texas is this big, giant college football program with, with all this awe surrounding it. Um, but Texas really hasn't been that good recently. And it's going to be their first game with a new head coach, and they're going to play it at 11 a.m. local time there on the first weekend in September. So I don't know what the weather's supposed to be like that day, but it could be like 115 degrees on the turf down there. So I think that could be a really interesting game that could determine whether Maryland hits kind of its high-end expectation for the season or kind of its more expected four to six wins uh, depending on how things shake out. I think if Maryland finds a way to go in there, you know, in year two of Durkin, year one of Tom Herman um, at Texas and and pull off, I mean, that would still be an upset, clearly. But, you know, if that game were to fall in Maryland's favor, I could see them getting maybe as high as seven wins if, you know, if that goes their way. But I would guess that Maryland finds a way to get to six wins again. I think Durkin is that kind of coach that won't, you know, kind of will his team to six wins. And if that means that they've got to beat this team or that team that's, you know, a ranked team in whatever week of the season, I think that this is maybe the first year that Maryland will have the ability to catch a team you know, it's kind of as a trap game on an off week. This team is looking ahead to Ohio State next week or to Michigan or Wisconsin next week. And they're traveling to Maryland this week. And, you know, Maryland gets all hyped up for the game and, and kind of pulls a fast one on them. So I, I think six wins is probably my guess. I wouldn't be surprised to see four or five, but I'll go with six. Yeah, I don't think anybody listening to this podcast, whether they're a Maryland or Ohio State fan, would be too upset with Maryland catching Michigan or Penn State, (laughs) looking ahead and beating them. But if you want to catch any of Maryland's attempted ascent in the Big Ten East, be sure to head on over to TestudoTimes.com and give them a follow as well on Twitter, at TestudoTimes. And Jared, where can the people on the internet find your work? You head over to TestudoTimes.com also, obviously, and I'm on Twitter at underscore J Goldie with a Y. 17 and i'll be you know retweeting and tweeting all my content and thoughts on on the team you know for the foreseeable future so appreciate that give test pseudo times and jared a follow for all things 
Maryland, and be sure to check out their work as the season goes on. Jared, thanks for joining the show, man. Of course. Thanks for having me. Good stuff from Jared about the Maryland Terrapins, and definitely think there's a lot of reason for optimism for them heading into not only the 2017 season, but you look past that into 2018 and beyond. DJ Durkin's doing a nice job on the recruiting trail. Seems like they have options who are young and have a good pedigree. The run game is exciting. You figure the defense can only go up, especially with Durkin and what he's been able to do at other stops. So I think when you talk about the Big Ten East and those teams outside of Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, I think that Maryland is the one that's most poised to make a run and jump up, not maybe into the echelon of those top three, but I think, for lack of a better term, replace Michigan State as that fourth that can step into that role, and we'll see how Michigan State rebounds after going 3-9 and nine last season, but I think that they're in for a couple of years on the downswing, so... Maryland is poised to at least be better than what they have been. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on them. And make sure to go to Testudo Times and follow them on Twitter at Testudo Times leading up to their game against Ohio State if you want to be in the know about everything Maryland headed into that game. Also, if you want to keep up with everything we've been doing here on the Hangout in the Holy Land, make sure to go to SoundCloud.com slash Land Grant Holy Land, and then go to Apple Podcasts and search The Hangout in the Holy Land. There's two because we couldn't get rid of one of the feeds, but if you search on the one with all the most recent podcasts, you can find all of our stuff there. Find these opponent preview series podcasts, the state secrets episodes we've been dropping about Ohio State recruiting, and more. So be on the lookout for even more podcasts coming your way. We still have five opponent preview series episodes left so got to crank those out before the start of the season so keep your eyes open and your ears open for those and i hope that you guys are enjoying them and you can always send me feedback by sending me a tweet at dubsco or by sending the site account a tweet at landgrant33 that's going to wrap up today's episode though want to thank you all for listening once again my name is colton denning the spot was good and go bucks <laughs>